Way to go. You make it sound like you're just winging it, which is great. Um, hey, today uh, we are beginning our four-week series called Overcome. We ask the question, I'll keep looking over here. We ask the question, what do we do when life hurts us? And I just want to begin by reading the key verse that we're going to be looking at over the next four weeks. I'm hoping it will sink in deep. We're basically going to exegete through that verse. So we're basically going to begin at the beginning of that verse and go through to the end. So it looks like this. It's in Genesis 50, 19 to 21. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them, comforted them, and spoke kindly to them. This verse sits at the end of the book of Genesis. It's highly, highly significant. Um, and it's to be read in the context of all that happens in the book um, of Genesis. Uh, but before I begin, can I, um, can I just be really, really honest with you? I, I prepared this sermon maybe in, in April, May, when we went on the Philippines medical mission trip. And, and since then, we've been preparing home group materials. So some of you may have started our Overcome series um, in your home group. So a lot of background work has gone into trying to make this as helpful a series um, as we can. But this week, um, something happened that really, really shook me. I mean, I, I don't know if you know, but um, this weekend, two churches are covering the topic of how do you deal with trauma and crisis. Um, last weekend, just after the senior pastor of Clayton COC preached this message, his, his wife um, had a... Um, an aneurysm and, and um, went to the hospital that night. And by the next day, uh, she was already on life support. Um, and he lost his wife suddenly. Um, the, the senior pastor of Clayton COC, a good friend of mine, she, um, very young, uh, we recorded a, a message for them today. They're running um, their service. And It's one thing to talk about trauma and when, when life doesn't go your way. And it's, an, it's another entirely, entirely different thing to have it happen to you, to go through it, um, and, and still keep your faith in God. So I'm just going to take one moment if I could. Uh, I promise that our church will be praying for them. Um, and so I'm just going to lead us in prayer. Father, we want to thank you for Clayton, COC. We want to thank you for Chi and his family and the good things that you're doing through your life. And in this time of tragedy, Lord God, I pray that your comfort would be their guide, that they would feel your love, that they would know your love. We pray for the two kids, Lord God, that they would grow up knowing you, that the enemy would have no foothold in their life, that they would know that, that their mom is in a the hands of a very good God and is in a great place and that this good God holds even their family in his hands even right now. And we pray for Clayton as they grieve, but also as they process through this. And we lift them up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, you know, uh, as, a, as a kind of a co contrast... Um, we celebrated our daughter's 11th birthday yesterday. Uh, and Mayan and I, last night, we were just talking and saying, where has the time gone? You know, if, 
when I met my wife, she was the same age as my daughter. And, uh, you know, who's now not... Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I got to be... I got to clarify everything. Okay. Um, anyway, Rachel's 19 now, you know, um, and it's just flown. Oh, my goodness. It's just really, really flown. And so... <laughs> In light of all these things, just if we could, you know, I don't think, I don't know about you, but certainly for me, I don't have time to get stuck in the same old issues, holding on to the same old bitterness and pain and and, and letting our whole life just being about, you know, 10 years ago, this happened to me. And five years ago, this happened. And let me tell you about this thing that my parents did to me. And you just have to ask a question. If, if life is so fleeting, if, if it can pass by so quick and we, we keep living our days again and again. And in this church, we've passed 20 years already, 25 next year. Do we want to spend all of that time? embroiled, stuck with the things that have happened to us in our life because there is an inevitability in all of our lives and that is suffering. In this fallen world, I tell you, who hasn't had a rough time? In fact, there was one psychologist I was reading. If you haven't, he said, if you haven't experienced the suffering or any hurts in your life, just wait five years or ten years because this world, it is fake to believe that this world is devoid of evil and is devoid of bad things that happen to people, sometimes even good people. And so I, I think, uh, so this is my quick plug actually for Scott Harrow, who's a good friend of mine. He's going to be covering the theology behind the problem of evil. It's actually highly relevant, actually, if you think um, you want to chat with your workmates or your schoolmates or whatever about, um, you know, how can bad things happen to good people or what kind of God is this? And some people think God is evil. Um, Scott's going to be covering that today in a very, very um, a robust theological way going steadily through scripture and so I, I highly recommend that you you go along for that it's not too late to rock up um but let's look at what we're going to try and do during this series so whatever i don't finish today praise the lord you have me for three weeks so whatever i don't finish today we go to part two next week and then we go to part three because uh i'm so intent my, my heart's passion, and I know our whole pastoral staff, our, our intention is that you don't get stuck when life hurts you. That you don't get stuck with the kinds of hiccups and problems that invariably occur, some of which are so, so, so hard to bear. Um, so, we've got three goals. One is we're going to go through biblical narrative. Right, we're going through Genesis, but in particular, we're going biblically through the story of Joseph. It's written there for a reason. It anchors the book of Genesis. It's the most, uh, the longest part of the book of Genesis. All right, we're going to look at its application in our life. Two, we're going to see how Joseph reflected Jesus. Joseph, who had so much evil done to him, yet became a blessing for others, how that reflects Jesus, who also suffered for us, that we just did communion on, that we are supposed to reflect as well, right? So that's the second goal of this series. And then the third goal of this series is for me to talk you through a robust model for dealing with trauma. That means while we step through all this, give you a little bit of um, uh, a roadmap or a heads up on how you could maybe process trauma yourself, but also help others process through it. And I'll say a little bit about models a bit later on, but I like it because I'm very forgetful. I like models because they're, they help me to remember things long after I've read it. I can just go, oh yeah, there's, a, there's an acronym. You know, I know it doesn't explain everything, but it's kind of helpful. 1987, 6th of March, passenger ship, was going from Belgium 
to England. This, this particular ship, actually, photo taken in 1980 at the launch of this ship. I think Herald of the Free Enterprise or something like that was the name of the ship. 500 passengers and crew. Um, and as the ship takes off, one of um, the, bow door, the, uh, the bow doors is not secured. So nothing happens until the ship begins to turn. And as the ship attempts to turn, the door gives way. And in 45 seconds, the ship has rolled over and 190 people died that day. This tragedy was the basis of a very pivotal study on dealing with trauma. All right, uh, Psychologists have used this to uh, analyze coping methods uh, for trauma because it was unexpected. Uh, the people who survived witnessed the death of their loved ones. It was horrific. And, and psychologists wanted to figure out, hey, how do people react to this? What they discovered, there's a, there's a huge book, uh, What Doesn't Kill Us, I think is the name of the book. It's used by, uh, we ran it in our leaders training earlier on this year. It's the basis for um, the model part of the home group series. But it's also used by the Victorian Council of Churches that, that we actually head up the uh, White Horse region for. Uh, it's used by them in their training as we help the various forest fires and we become like in there to do counseling for tragedies that happen in Victoria. All right. Now, that whole book is anchored on studies that took place off of this tragedy. And they discovered in that book, they talk about how different people cope in different ways. Uh, In their survey, 73% of people started drinking more. 44% of people in the 1980s started smoking more as a result. Of this tragedy. And they discovered actually that what you do to cope with trauma has a great impact on how well you recover. That means not all the things that you do to cope with trauma will produce the same results. In fact, what was the most Startling thing about this study, which uh, kicked off the book and kicked off an entire field of study, um, was they asked this question many years later. Has your view of life changed since the disaster? And as expected, 46% of respondents said it's been worse. 46%. As a result of this disaster, worse. But what was shocking was that 43% of respondents, years after this tragedy, responded with better. It brought me closer to my family. It made me look at life in a different way. It was was the impetus for me to finally start chasing my dreams and, and not just bum around. 43%. And that figure was so shocking, it kicked off a field of study called post-traumatic growth. How can it be that somebody has gone through a tragedy and come out better for it? These people went through the same crisis, the same incident. And The reason why we're spending three weeks on this series is because this is one thing that we have discovered as pastors, Pastor Roland and I and our pastoral team. Two people can have the same kind of issue in their life, yet their response to that can lead them in dramatically different ways. For for one, we have seen people who have gone through maybe infidelity, divorce, death of loved ones, and still their faith is strong. And still they're making a difference in community. And we have seen people who have got a B in their exam. Or, or you know, got a breakup letter or WhatsApp text from their girlfriend or whatever. And, and it's thrown their whole life off. And what is particularly sad for us as a pastor is when that conversation still takes place. And we're talking about the girlfriend that broke up with them 20 years ago. You think I'm joking? 
but I'm not. So something needs to happen in this series. Something needs to happen in our journey with God that we have to take some kind of cue from Joseph who has had a range of things happen to his life. We've got to take some kind of cue from Jesus. We've got to take some kind of cue from the Bible that allows us to actually move past the things that happen to us. And so I want us over this period, I know I'm not probably, you know, I, there are many people who have gone through more suffering in, in life than me. So this is not a competition. My, game, my goal is, can we help each other? Can we help each other to see as God sees and to move forward as God intends? Um, regardless of what kind of life you have, suffering is just going to be a part of it, right? Um, I, I don't want to minimize, actually, the wide range of trauma and suffering that can occur in people's lives. Um, the thing is, Christian cliches are actually not helpful. Uh, and to some extent... I'm worried that sometimes the Bible, Christianity, and even the story of Joseph can be um, covered so fast and so flippantly that basically you just go up to somebody, oh, you know, it was for evil, uh, you know, this evil thing happened, but God intended it for good. You're, you're, you'll be fine. Or always smile and be happy, you know. These are, this is not the reason why the story of Joseph is in there. This is not the reason why Jesus came. He, it, the, Psalms 23 talks about going through the valley of the shadow of death, that Jesus walks through with us. It's not just the fast forward to the very end. Um, there is real pain and real hurt that can occur when we are the ones going through trauma. Everyone, everyone can overcome tra trauma in theory. As long as it's not you, in your head, you can figure out, oh yeah, just do this, just do this. And to some extent, you might even be quoting the Thrive model at some point. I hope you don't, you know. But we have to go beyond just a very cursory engagement with the kind of evil that occurs in our world, the sadness that has led to many suicides, the, the, the misfortune that happens uh, in life. And Joseph, for me, is like that. Don't think of Joseph as just a Sunday school story. Because Joseph sits at the end of the book of Genesis. That means by the time you get to Joseph's story, you already understand that the world is a dark place. By the time you get to Joseph, oh my goodness, there's already pain and suffering. You've seen sin, you've seen murder, you've seen the increasing evil of the world so that um, it, um, God needs to wipe the world clean and then after wiping the world clean, everybody just gets evil back again. In fact, just before, just before the story of Joseph starts, um, there's the story of Dinah, Joseph's half-sister, right? And you have to wonder, why is that mentioned just before? So she, if you don't know, she gets raped in Shechem as they are traveling. And so this is such a, it, it's trying to, it's, Genesis is just telling stories just as they occur, right? It's not fabricated. These are just the things that occurred in this, uh, in this family that, that, um, that they're following. Anyway, Dinah gets raped and her two older brothers decide to repay that by killing every person in that area and plundering and uh, plundering their wives, children, all their property and everything by misleading them. And so it's a, it's a dog eat dog world. It is a Evil is repaid with, you intend evil to me, watch it, because I will intend evil to you. This is not a kid's cartoon. By the time you, 
you're in the end of Genesis. We're dealing with very real evil, with very, very real consequences. So in Genesis 37, we hear about Joseph. When he was born, there was already problems with the family. So I'm going to go, try and go through Joseph's story pretty quick. I want to recommend that you read it. It's in chapter 37, and it goes all the way to chapter 50. But you can read it like one day. You've got it. Right? Um, so when Joseph was born, there were already problems with the family. Okay? Uh, he, uh, his dad had a favorite wife. There's a problematic statement already <laughs> because you've got more than one wife and you've got a clear favorite. Anyway, the child of his favorite wife was his favorite son, okay? So that's not going to bode well. In fact, he gives his son, Joseph, a multicolored robe or coat. And what you don't know about this is that... In that day, if you got given that multicolored coat, the way that coat was designed is you can't work. Those are not working clothes. They don't have a washing machine with a dry cleaner. It's multicolored. It's, not, it's designed to be ornate. It's not designed for hard labor. All right? And Joseph wears it. He wears it even on that, on that fateful day the brothers pick on him. So it's a sign that Joseph is highly favored in such a way that everybody else does work he doesn't. Then, to make matters worse, Joseph gets a dream from God, right? A couple of dreams from God. Um, in fact, he holds fast to these dreams. And the promises of God, that dream and the vision from God, actually is what tides Joseph through. He, he holds that, and it ends up coming true. But his brothers don't know that. So he tells his brothers, hey, you're all going to bow down to me. Mom and dad are going to bow down to me. I'm going to be awesome, and you're going to be a little bit lower than me. Right? It doesn't go well. The brothers get so angry. And one day, when the brothers are in Shechem, which is the same place that they killed all these people in retaliation for their sister's rape, the dad must have been worried. So he sends Joseph to check on them. Uh, he sends Joseph to check on them. Yeah, he sends Joseph to check on them, right? So Joseph with his multicolored goat, he gets it, he checks on them. And I'll just fast forward. The brothers decide kill him. They throw him in a pit. They fake his death. And then last minute, they change their mind and go, you know what? Why kill the guy? We can make a buck. Must be Asian. And then they sell him off to slavery, right? And so um, then Joseph, um, it, can you just imagine what's going on with Joseph? You're the favorite kid. I am imagining somewhat sheltered. You're not doing that much work, right? And he's so deeply hurt by those that are closest to him. Sometimes the ones who hurt us the most are the ones that are closest to us. If Joseph was here, he wouldn't want you to make light of his situation. He wouldn't want to be turned into some meme or some bumper sticker somewhere because these are his actual brothers, his actual life that he grew up in, and they wanted to kill him. In fact, it goes worse for Joseph because one after another, tragedy comes to him. All the while, while he's trying to do his absolute best, right? He's sold into slavery. That's not good. Then he's wrongly accused, right, of, um, of rape. And that's not good. So he gets sent to prison. That's not good. Then in prison, his only chance of, of being remembered um, is uh, by these two guys who, who end up, one ends up dying, one ends up going to work for the, the Pharaoh, right? But he's forgotten. And so even though he was promised that he'd be remembered, the guy who's meant to save him forgets him. So all kinds of tragedies happen to Joseph. By no means does he have a silver platter life. So let's jump to the end. At the end of this story, Joseph is remembered. Okay? The, the, the guy remembers, oh yeah, um, uh, I have somebody who can interpret dreams. And Pharaoh has a dream that needs interpretation and nobody can interpret it. So he gets called, Joseph gets called to meet 
with Pharaoh, the, the head of all of Egypt. Now, Pharaoh, uh, sorry, Joseph has traumatic issues with dreams. Trust me, right? Him telling dreams was probably the reason why he got in trouble in the first place. But now he's got to deal with that. He's got to step up and talk about dreams yet again. And he says, look, your dream, Pharaoh, means that there will be seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. Right? And Pharaoh's, oh my goodness. Wow, this is, this is so insightful. And he puts Joseph, I, I don't know why, but he puts Joseph in charge of managing the seven years of plenty and the seven years of famine. It turns to be amazing because in the seven years of plenty, everybody's just eating more, uh, but the Egyptians are storing. And then in the seven years of famine, Joseph, who's now become the second in charge of everything, he's able to be a help, a blessing to all the neighboring countries because they don't even have grain stored. Okay? Now, then the unthinkable happens. His own, Joseph's own family runs out of food. And they come to Egypt, to Joseph. And Joseph has the chance to repay them for what they did. Just think about it. Because there is story after story in Genesis of exactly these moments. It's usually the moment you cut off their head. But Joseph instead helps them and looks after them. In fact, his brothers are so fearful of Joseph's reaction that even after the help, after they've all gone and moved over to be cared for by Joseph, after many, many, many years, they still think Joseph hasn't got past that hurt. And he still wants to kill them. So that when this, our key verse, our key verse actually comes from right at the end. When Joseph's father dies, and they're like, the brothers make up this thing. Oh, you, did you know dad said before he died, don't harm us. <laughs> dad never said anything like that. You know, like, they're like so scared, right? And then because they, they, they think maybe Joseph is just keeping us alive out of honor for his father. His father who loved him so much, favorite son. And he's like, oh, you know what? Dad, I love you. I hate my brothers, but I love you. But as soon as dad's dead, they're thinking, we're all dead. And this is Joseph's um, response, right? So Joseph's response is, but Joseph said to them, but Joseph said to them, am I in the place of God? What you meant for evil, God meant it for good. That's his response. So this verse that we've got, that we're looking at, it comes in, it sits in a wider story. We must see, it's not just a bumper sticker, this verse that Joseph says is the culmination of all of the stuff that God is doing in his life. And it sits stark against many of the other responses. So what makes Joseph so different? If we could right now, I want you to think of your biggest hurt. your biggest, the thing that you're most bitter about? Who comes to mind? What comes to mind? Over the, these next three weeks, our hope is to help you at some level respond to that hurt, that injury in your life, that evil in your life, to respond to that in a way that reflects Christ. Not demeaning it, not pretending it, it's not there, but overcoming it and not allowing it to be the defining characteristic of your life. The conversation that keeps repeating again and again in your head. Um, we're going to be looking at the THRIVE model, right? Uh, T-H-R-I-V-E, it's an acronym. We're doing T and H today. Next week, R and I, and the week after that, V and E. It's a, I like models because they provide us good rules of thumb. Uh, it's like a good way to 
think of a model is it's like a map. Maps don't show, maps are actually not very accurate. Some of these roads, they're not straight, but they look straight on, the, on a map, right? Um, they're not accurate. Maps have to remove all kinds of details so that the main paths can be seen, right? There's no point developing a map that has every single thing in there, right? Then you might as well just look out regular life. Uh, what models help us to do is to go, hey, there is something in what Joseph did, what Jesus did, what this person did, and this other person did, that has helped them grow. What is the same thing that these guys are all doing? What is it that then I can do in my life that can learn wisdom from that? Or what about on the other side? Other people who have gotten hijacked from life, who have spiraled out of control. What, what's in common with all of them? Now, I know they've got different lives and different people and different situations. But, hey, maybe there's some big markers of what they're doing. And like a roadmap that they follow. I don't, want, I don't want to go down that road. And so the reason why we're doing a Thrive model is not to sort of say, let's be obsessed with models. It's to just sort of highlight Hey, here are some things that Joseph does that would be helpful for us as we either process our own trauma or help others through it. That's all it is. Please do not weigh it. It is not scripture, by the way. So don't overweight uh, it. Uh, don't overuse it. It's just meant to be helpful. All right? So if it's not helpful, don't worry about it. I'm hoping it just helps you to remember. Okay, today we're doing the first part, which is Genesis 50, 19. But Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? T stands for taking stock. Taking stock. When something happens to you, you need time. Natural responses such as grief, heightened arousal. That means you're always alert. You're always anxious. You're, you can't switch off. These are things that, that engulf all of us when trauma occurs. So we need to first begin and go, hey, Instead of just rolling on to the next thing. Instead of, hey, everything is fine. I'll be okay. Oh, don't worry about it. I'm okay. I just need to keep plowing ahead. I need to keep working. I need to do all whatever I need to do. It's wise to stop. Joseph goes, but hold on. And in taking stock, um, in the home group series, we look at being honest. So one of the things that you have to do, one of many other things that you have to do when you're taking stock, I'm just going to focus on one because we don't have much time, but I encourage you to go to home group. Um, the one thing I'm going to focus on in taking stock is being honest about what has happened to you. Some things will be broken, like a vase that is smashed. It can never be put back the same way again. Joseph was very honest. You meant evil. Hey, look, I'm just trying to, uh, let me just tell it as it is. You're not good brothers. My dream of having a loving family, of growing up in a safe environment all through my childhood, my dream of, of, of being in the Bible and having a godly home and whatever, it's shattered. And I'm never going to get it back because of you, because you decided to sell me to slavery. And even after my dad is dead, I may never be able to view you as innocent people. Because you meant evil. Joseph doesn't pretend at all. He actually says, you meant, I know what you did. You meant evil to me. You didn't even accidentally do it. You intentionally 
did evil to me. These are the kind of brothers I have. And so for some of us, without taking stock, without being really honest, we can't move on to the next step. So it might be that you would never have the father that you wished you had or the children you wished you had, or the childhood you hoped that you would have. And because something happened, you're never going to get that childhood back. You're never going to get that, that, that marriage with no affairs. You're never going to get that because something has happened in your life. And the story of Joseph actually is surprisingly honest. It doesn't retrofit history. So that all of those sins are like pretended as if it's not there. So in, um, what I like about this model is that once we realize that this vase can't be put back in the same way, then you know, we call the series Overcome. Because it's possible, and uh, it's because we're going to have a mosaic motif through the whole three weeks. And uh, I like Jordan's take on the mosaic, so your, your idyllic paradise, you know, uh, in mosaic. You can actually, so mosaics are made from shattered pieces of vase, right? Uh, different bits of colored um, vase that can then be pieced together to not make the vase again, but to make something new altogether. And Joseph made something new altogether with his life. You can make something new altogether with his life. Uh, I read a book of um, one rabbi who lost his son. The greatest tragedy, he writes, I would never wish what happened to me on anyone. But I have developed, I, I used to be an average rabbi saying normal things. But I have developed a heightened sensitivity to families who have lost kids. And he's begun an entire ministry of reaching out to people even though he would never, ever have wished that on himself. But these things occur. So there needs to be some level of taking stock and accepting this reality. We have to let go of that vase that maybe is broken. H is harvesting hope. How does Joseph do it? How did Joseph, like what is going on in Joseph? Does he just think good thoughts? You know, theologian Von Rad says that our key verse opens up the inmost mystery of the Joseph story. Because all along when you're reading the story of Joseph, you wonder what goes on inside of him. How does he keep on hope? How does he even react well to his brothers? Um, and I, I think you get a glimpse of it. In Genesis 45, his first interaction with his brothers, I mean, the, the first reveal with his brothers, it's so um, emotional, but it gives you a glimpse of what's going on inside of Joseph. Uh, let, let's, I just want to read it really quickly, if I could. So, he's kind of tricked his brothers, they've come back, right? He's served them food, he's been really generous to them, and he can't take it anymore. All right? He really wants to tell his brothers, it's okay, I forgive you. It's okay, you're, you're starving and in a famine, but I'm here to help you. And he's so emotionally wound up. It says, Joseph could not control himself before all who stood by him. And this is like, to me, this is like half ridiculous, right? Because... And it says, he cried. Make everybody, everybody, it's like the whole church, all of you into that room right now. Everybody in that room. And then, so they're all out. So nobody stayed with him and Joseph. And then he wept so loud, everybody could hear it. Like this is, he's like, I don't think he's even making sense at this moment. Because the emotions have gotten too much of a hold in his life. And then when he finally reveals himself to his brothers, I'm Joseph. Is my father still alive? He finally reveals himself. He says in verse 7 and 8, the inner motive of what's going on. And he says, because the, the brothers can't believe the generosity. He says, God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth. 
to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here. Oh my goodness, brothers, I know what you did. I know you meant it as evil. It wasn't you sending me, but God. And he has made a father, me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all of his house and the ruler of God put me in this position. God made me. And so the harvesting hope, the second part of this is do not fear. For am I in the place of God? Am I in the place of God? Sometimes we get so much into all this like self-help reading, you know, like think positive thoughts. What are the five steps to overcome uh, your trauma? And we just read all these self-help books. But let me tell you, that wasn't Joseph's path. That's not what Joseph did. Joseph went, am I in the place of God? If all there is, and uh, so this is a quote I just made up. But um, if all there is in this world is you, if your happiness, your life, and all things located here is the entirety of your lens, you're not getting the full picture. And everything in your life, everything is tinged with a layer of selfishness. Because Joseph went, there's more than just what's going on here. Joseph went, I'm not God. I'm not the one who determines the whole world. I'm not God. I'm not the one who is in charge of my own life even. When he says, I'm not, have no fear, am I in the place of God? What he's saying is, God is in the place of God. And I'm going to be led by God. I'm going to follow God. I'm not just going to act on my own feelings. I'm not just going to do what I want. I'm not God. I'm not God. It's not a zero-sum game. And we talked a little bit about that in home group, right? But it's not zero-sum game. It's like, if I win, you lose. If you lose, I win. He doesn't do that with his brothers. Because there's God. God is watching. God is the one who created him. God is the one he has to account for. God is the one who he will meet later on. God is the one who looks at his life. God is the one who's watching over him. And so for Joseph, it's God, 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 God. That's how he answers all of the injustices and the things that happened to him in his life. Because he doesn't see himself as the God of his life. He doesn't see himself as God. It's not like these guys have like offended God and now because he's God and, you know, it's not, it's not like that for Joseph because he doesn't take the place of God in his life. You know, Warren Wiersbe says, suffering brings about a greater sense of authenticity because it strips away pretense and causes a childlike dependence on God. It causes a childlike dependence on God. Here's one lie that Satan tells. You can rely on yourself. You are so smart. You got under if you just live a good life, if you just work, you can rely on yourself. That is a lie. That's a lie of pride. I like, I like how uh, Jess led worship and she talked about humility. Joseph shows humility when he says, am I in the place of God? We can't. We, we can't even depend on ourselves, to be honest. And so in the first two, we're going to cover the next, um, we're going to go through the next two weeks on this. But I just want to pause this right here as we close today's service. Bad things happen. We need to begin by being actually honest about some of the hurts and losses that have taken place in our life. It is not helpful for us to go around Christian pretending that life is fine and everything is sort of overcome. It's not. Because you might not get back you won't get back your childhood. 
that's gone for, for most of you, right? You know? Um, then H, harvesting hope. How does Joseph harvest hope? He ha- is like what Pastor Ron was sharing, a communion today. He harvests hope because he's hopeful because he knows he's not God. But God is God. God is God. And so he, he responds even when in his most emotional moments of his life where he's crying and the Egyptians can hear it from all over the place. He responds, God, 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 God. God intended this. I see God's plan. This is God's dream. I've got God-given purpose. You have, each of you have a God-given purpose in life. God has placed in you dreams and visions. He's called you uh, for His own and He's given you a name. These are not to be hijacked by your girlfriend breaking up with you, you losing your job, different things occurring in life. These are not to be hijacked because you're not in the place of God. And if you stand on God's promises, if you stand on God's promises, ultimately He is the one who justifies, if not in this lifetime, for all of eternity. All right? And so um, I just want us to end with, and you're going to see this verse quite often during the series, because Second Corinthians reminds us that God is a God of all comfort. And I, I really like this passage. It goes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies. He's described as the Father of mercies and God of all comfort who comforts us in all our affliction. But if I could just pause right there. It comforts us all of him. God's comfort is not like the comfort that alcohol provides. God's comfort is not like the comfort uh, gaming and gambling or smoking can provide. Because as we was, we've discovered early on, the things we go to for comfort, the, the, the things we go to to cope with the tragedies in our life, they don't all pay the same. They don't all reap the same reward. But this passage says, God who comforts us, God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction, God actually is so different from these other ways of comfort. And for me, one marked difference that God has is all of these other types of comfort, watching Netflix on TV, playing computer games, whatever it is that you do for comfort. I have a stressful day. I got to like have some comfort food, whatever it is. All those things don't help you so that you will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves have been comforted by God. That means all of these other things, they don't make you a better person. They don't bring out the best in you. They don't, God's comfort does. As, as you allow God to comfort you with your loss, as, God, as you allow God to comfort you in your hurt, then you can actually convey that same comfort because you know what that feels like now. To lose all hope until your hope is only with God. You can now talk to somebody who in, for all intents and purposes has lost all hope. Because you can now comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves have been comforted by God. You need to understand that today, I want to pray for you, but if God is going to heal whatever hurt you have, it's not just going to be so that you have an easier life. It's not just going to be so that, oh, hey, everything's just more comfortable. The purpose of for God being the God of all comfort is because that's who He is. So that then more of Him can be spread around this world. And oh my goodness, this world needs 
more of the right kind, the lasting, the deep kind of repair of hurt that can occur that is much more effective than Instagram likes, than getting distracted with your career or any of these other things. All right? So if that's you, can we just have all eyes closed? I want to do this because over the next three weeks, we're just going to be hitting it hard. But I want to begin with this. Let's begin by taking stock. If right now, as I was talking, and I said, think of a hurt. And someone, something, something's happened that has hurt you so bad in your life that it comes straight to mind. I want to begin this series by just lifting that up to God in prayer. We begin with, yeah, there is evil in this world. So if you want to lift this up to God, and I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that, hey, it's going to be an instant cure. It may be. God can do miracles. But it, what I want to do is for us to be honest first. Can we allow God in to this hurt in our life? So if that's you, while all eyes are closed, can you put up your hand? And I want to pray for you because these next three weeks, I'm hoping will change your life. I'm hoping these three weeks will set you free. If that's you, put up your hand and then I will just close in prayer. Father, we pray for these hurts, these hands that have been put up. Only you, God, only you know what's going on inside. Lord, I pray for my brothers and my sisters here today that, that over this weeks, over this season, Lord God, that you would begin to minister your comfort into their life. Help them to form a new future forward. Lord God, I pray that even today would be the beginning of a spot that you would open their eyes to a world of possibility that lies ahead of something different, a new kind of life and a new kind of ministry that moves forward that helps others, that is a blessing to others. I pray, Lord God, that in this room, despite all the tragedy and despite all the hurt that may have occurred, Father God, that you would turn and make something good out of our lives, that us as a church, through the different trials that we've been through, would be a blessing to the world to show them the kind of God you are. We commit this into your hands. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Uh, we'll see you guys next week. Um...